Coming up on golf today, big time stars have posted up in the Bahamas. Rory and Spieth, Brooks and Bryce and JT and the newly engaged Colin. We get you ready for round one of Tiger's Hero World Challenge. And the big cat just can't stay away from the range. He made more golf swings yesterday, showing a little bit of speed with longer clubs and keeping the golf world excited about the prospects of his comeback. And a major champ with some history with Tiger, Tom Lehman, joins us for chats with a champion as the first ever winner of the Hero World Challenge. We take the way back machine right here on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf Today on a Thursday, game day. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. The Bahamas first round coverage today. we got Golf Central pregame at noon. got the Hero World Challenge at 1.30 p.m. And this field, Eamon, is stacked. We're finally getting the balls in the earth. The last big name, big field event of the year, even if all the focus is on the one guy who doesn't actually have a tee time this week. It still feels like an important week, doesn't it? we got Tiger hitting shots. We've got Rory McIlroy in the field. Colin Morikawa going to get married at the age of 24. What are you most looking forward to this week? We've got a lot of storylines. There's a lot of guys trying to put themselves in a better position going into 2022. Guys who've had, some guys have had successful years. Guys like Rory McIlroy has won twice. He's probably looking to try to give, hit a little reset button after what happened in Dubai a couple of weeks ago. You've, you know, Jordan Spieth, he's, you know, gone away from a, a newborn child to actually show up in the Bahamas to play. I think he'd like to get something out of this week. There's a lot of people could like to make a statement here because really John Rahm's the only player of significance mm. who's not in the field this week. So if you're going to win here, you're beating the best. Fascinated by Justin Thomas and how he could say a year that included a Players' Championship victory was poor. And that really tells you about the expectations he has for himself. New caddy with our good buddy Bones Mackay. I think he has some renewed energy and focus. And can you gain momentum, you think, at this time of year, even though it is a limited field 20-player event? It's kind of hard to gain momentum when you're about to head home for the holidays for another <laughs> it's month. True. But then again, the layoff isn't that long here because you're only talking about four weeks before these guys show up in Maui in, in a lot of cases. And then they're off and running again for another year. So, I, yeah, momentum and confidence can carry over. Probably more confidence than momentum. Yeah, we have seen Hideki Matsuyama, for example, play very well at the end of the year, winning in China, winning twice in Japan, then winning the Hero World Challenge, and then beating... Webb Simpson in a playoff in February, winning four out of five starts. So you can see some important things happen this week in the Bahamas. And we got some big-time names in the field, as mentioned. The aforementioned Colin Morikawa, two-time major champ, and Rory McIlroy, the four-time major champ. They're paired together 12.22 p.m. Eastern time in Albany in the Bahamas. So let's flash back. It's a couple Sundays ago, the DP World Tour Championship. Rory McIlroy had that... 54-hole lead, one-shot lead, and things started to get a little crooked at 15. Bogey three of his last four, finished tied for sixth, and then, of course, visibly upset. Took it out on his shirt, ripping the fabric and stewing alone, and yesterday he reluctantly addressed the topic with the media. Your shirt is in one piece. It is. It's another joke you tried to make that's not that funny. <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't like that one either? <laughs> no. Rory, how long did it take to rip the shirt, and when was the last time you did that before Dubai? Um, it didn't take, I mean, I pulled on my collar and it ripped. Um, I don't know if I've ever done it again, I've done it before. I went to the pro shop, bought a new one, threw that one in the trash. 
I mean, this can rip shirt like a Jesus. Woo! Hot Rory! Why wouldn't he get testy? I mean, he's asked three questions about a ripped shirt. Tiger had a career-threatening and life-threatening car crash, gets asked one question, mm. dismisses it, and nobody asks a follow-up question, but Rory's shirt is apparently worth three. Does that tell you anything about him, that reaction? Is it more about this week in general or more of a, a sea change in where he is right now post-Ryder Cup? I don't, I don't buy the sea change argument at all with Rory. Rory's always had a little testiness in him on occasion, a little fire and edge in there. I don't see anything different in Rory, I think frustrations have certainly built up this year. Mm. I think that's what the Ryder Cup thing was, the, the loss of his golf swing during the course of the year, and he wasn't really getting it back in his work with Pete Cow, and now he's back working with Michael Bannon, and I think he believes he's hit a reset button going into next year. But I don't believe there was any kind of sea change personality that went on with Rory. I just think the corrosive effects of playing golf that was not up to his standards all year long just finally bubbled over in the yeah. Ryder Cup. I didn't mind the rip shirt. I, I mean, the guy is... Tearing at the collar, he said. This is like the, the baseball player who draws the collar, you know, strikes out three times and takes a bat to the Gatorade bucket. I mean, that happens. We see it in sports. Guys go in the locker room and throw their helmet and, and break lockers. Henrik Stenson's had some issues with lockers back in the day and had to, to pay for the said locker. So I think, if anything, it just shows how much he cares about the game and how frustrated he was that he had a lead and an incredible opportunity to finish the year the way he wanted to on the on the European Tour, now the DP World Tour, and he let one get away. Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, people like to get a little fiery once in a while. He probably is embarrassed by it, I'm mm. guessing. Probably thinks it wasn't a great look, but people in golf love nothing more than clutching at perils at something. If old Tom Morris didn't do it, you shouldn't be doing it now. But for all we know, old Tom Morris was ripping up his tweeds 150 years ago. So no sea change in personality for Rory McIlroy. What are your expect expectations this week and maybe early 2022? Well, he's going to start his year next year in the Middle East. He's going to play in Abu Dhabi. He won't make his debut in the United States until Riviera in February. So it'll be a little longer before we see him again. He's not going to play any of the Hawaiian events. Um, so we're, we're not going to see Rory probably back in, in this part of the world for another, probably, what, six weeks, two months? Um, I, I think he's confident in where he's headed. He spent two weeks in Florida since the Ryder Cup working with Michael Bannon, who had flown over from Ireland for those intense sessions. He looked very, very good in Dubai until Sunday he wasn't getting putts to go, and then it all kind of unraveled over the last four holes. But he looked really good in that tournament. He looked really good at the CJ Cup that he won in Vegas. So he definitely believes that he is on the right path and we all know where that path needs to lead for Rory McIlroy. It's th this narrative that follows him around that he needs another major because next year we're moving into that eight-year mark since the majors. And he's still only 32, but, you know, that it becomes a crushing weight at a certain point. How do you think he's handled that? Because that is the question that's in the back of every golf writer and golf broadcaster's mind when it comes to Rory McIlroy. And we can talk about winning at Quail and winning in Las Vegas, but for Rory McIlroy, who won his first two majors by a combined 16 shots and did so in the absence of Tiger Woods being Tiger Woods, that, in my opinion, is the story, that until he can break the seal on a fifth major championship, we're going to kind of be dancing around, well, it's a, is it a, a decent season? Is it an okay season? For Rory McIlroy to start his career by shooting 61 at Quail and then to win an eight-shot victory at Congressional and Kiowa, it's hard to run away from that expectation once those results have been produced. And all of these guys get judged by different standards. The, the standard we apply to a rookie out mm -hmm. there this year for what constitutes a good season is very different from a guy 
who's, who's been out there for a while. It's very different from a guy that we then apply a standard to like Rory McIlroy. And the major championships are the standard that has mm. now been applied to Rory and what he ought to be doing. He, he's made the point himself. It's not as though he's been hanging around in the clouds for yeah. seven years. You know, he's won the players, which a lot of people would put in the category of a major, which will send some golf Twitter heads exploding out there, but it is, in every respect, the equal of a major championship. Then he's thrown in a couple of FedEx Cups there as well. It's not as though Rory hasn't actually accomplished anything. He's gotten sure. to 20 PGA Tour wins, most of which have come in those last seven years. But again, there is this burden that is put around him, justifiably so and deservedly so. He, he set a standard for the majors that he has not reached then again in mm. seven years. Well, you're coming to a close for a lot of the players this week, but lots to talk about for next year as well. For more, we welcome in Rex Hoggart from the Bahamas. Good morning, Rex. What do you have? Morning, Damon. This is really how a headline earlier this week has sparked a broader conversation on the role of players as independent contractors. Now, this is all about the Saudi International, which is going to be an event on the Asian Tour that's being played in February opposite the PGA Tour event at Pebble Beach. They released their initial field earlier this week, and on that initial field were 23 PGA Tour players. Now, according to Tour regs, those players need to be granted conflicting event releases to be able to participate in that event. I spoke with a Tour spokesperson who said that none of those releases have been granted as of yet, and under the rules, the Tour has until 30 days before the first round of that event to do it. But on Wednesday, Rory McIlroy and Xander Schauffele, who was on that original commitment list, were asked about a situation that seems to be reaching a tipping point. I mean, I think we, we are independent contractors and we should be able to play where we want to play. Um, so, I, in my opinion, I think the tour should grant releases. It's an Asian tour event. It's, it's, a, it's an event that has OWGR rankings. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why they, why they wouldn't. Um, well, I do see reasons why they wouldn't grant releases, but uh, I think if they're trying to do what's best for their members and their members are going to a, a place other than the PGA Tour and being able to earn that, that money, I mean, that's, we're independent contractors, and I feel like we should be able to do that if that's what our personal choice is. My personal choice is not to do that, but obviously a lot of players are doing that, and I think it's, it's fair to let them do that. Do you worry we're going to get down the road of legal battles and arguments? And yeah, I think so. Yeah. Really. I think so. I think, I think the professional game needs to, needs to um, get to a point where we as professionals need to know where we stand. Are we actually independent contractors? Are we employed by a certain entity? Are we, you know, so that's, you know, that's stuff that's just, there's a lot of gray area in, in that, and, and that's what sort of needs to be sorted out, I think. We don't know if this will come to this, but would you have a problem with the tour telling you that you can't play somewhere? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like it's just, it's very, it's very um, absolute. I feel like there just needs to be some sort of counter in any, in the, the way certain things work. I mean, they can do, you know, I'll try and do what I need to do, and they'll tell me what I can and can't do at a certain point, but I feel like they need to counter something they can't just tell me no you can't do this and then just kick rocks kid you know that's not really how i how i'd want to do things so um they've been pretty pretty good about i, I like i said I, I try and play golf i'm just trying to i have an agent and a, and a manager and that's their job you know i'm on the green grass and they're supposed to handle all the talks so um nothing too crazy has come up to me yet uh from my agent or from my manager so um i feel like i'm just still here just playing trying to play golf at a high level and then 
they'll uh, show me the cards whenever the cards are, are drawn. Now, this stems from a larger conversation about a proposed Super Golf League. It's been rumored and talked about for years, but it's important to point out that there have been no players who have officially announced that they are going to go with the Super League. And there's also been no official announcement about the Super League itself. But on Wednesday, Colin Morikawa was asked if there's room in the game for two global tours. Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm 24 and I'm keeping all eyes and ears open to everything. Um, but the PGA Tour has been the focal point of my entire career, right? You grow up watching the PGA Tour. You grow up watching guys like Tiger, guys like Rory just dominate the game, and that's what you want to do. You come out here and win. Um, so, you know, hopefully everything is out there and you start listening what's best, what's better. Um, but, look, I, I think at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is grow the game. So what's going to be the best for us professional golfers to grow the game? How do we create this outlet that – um, is not just for a U.S. market, but is global, right? I was asking Dr. Manjal today about how big golf is in India, and, you know, it really isn't that big. And, and how do you grow it in different parts of the world? So that's what's been cool is that, you know, we're able to travel, we're able to come to places like these, even though it's gorgeous. How do you just make that impact? And I think you look at a guy like Tiger who has done his entire career pretty much on the PGA Tour, and he's made that impact, right? And at 24, it's, it's thinking, how do I make that impact in five years, in 10 years, but even, you know, in a month or in, in a year. Um, how do you make that impact so young? And um, so, look, when it comes to Saudi, when it comes to the PGA Tour, I think the underlying message that everyone needs to realize is we're here to grow the game. Now, I also asked Colin if he had been approached by any representatives from the Super League, and he said he has. He said most of that information is filtered through his agent, but, quote, the one thing he wanted to focus on is get as much information as possible. Damon? Max Hogger breaking it down for us in the Bahamas. Much more from him in a little bit. How much is this about the power of the dollar versus loyalty to the PGA Tour? I think it's entirely about dollars, and Jay Monahan realizes that it's about dollars, which is why he's throwing dollars at his end to try to fend off this Saudi threat. And none of these guys that we just heard from Rory Zander or Colin Morikawa are saying anything that other players haven't said before. Mm. There was a wonderful earnestness about Colin Morikawa talking about growing the game because that has become one of these Orwellian phrases that is utterly <laughs> meaningless in golf. And particularly when it relates to the, the Saudi Super League because it is not about growing the game. It's not even about return on investment. It's about laundering a grotesque reputation. Mm. And you can dress it up in all the finery that you want, but that is really what the Saudi Golf League boils down to. The broader point of whether or not players should get releases is a much trickier one for the Tour to navigate because they have set precedent in the past for this tournament, both when it was sanctioned in Europe and for other Asian Tour events. So it's very difficult for the Tour to turn around and say, now you guys can't go there and pick up a bag of money once a year. And I think the Tour will probably end up granting the releases in the hopes that these guys think, OK, we'll go with a wheelbarrow full of cash once a year to Riyadh, and then we not worry about the Saudi Golf League beyond that. But the tour is kind of backed into a little bit of a corner here. It's a cat and mouse game on both sides, and right now the players are kind of the pawns. It is a cat and mouse game, but the biggest cat on Tuesday, Tiger Woods. He didn't expound on everything under the sun during his press conference, but I want to take you back to something he said about where he stands in terms of the PGA Tour and these rival golf leagues. Well, it's going to be his, his decision, period. Um, I have decided for myself that I'm supporting the PGA Tour. And that's where my legacy is. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have won 82 events on this tour and 15 major championships. And 
been a part of the, the World Golf Championships, um, the start of them and the end of them. So uh, I, I have an allegiance to the PGA Tour, and um, I understand that some of the comparisons are is a, is a very similar to when Arnold and Jack broke off from the PGA of America to start the tour. Um, I don't see it that way. Um, I think the tour has done a fantastic job. Jay's done an unbelievable job in a very difficult time uh, during the pandemic. You know, when we had, uh, there was ample opportunity for players to leave. Uh, but we were the first term, we're first sporting, uh, sporting tour to, to start. So uh, with that, yes, did we have some protocol issues at times? Yes, we had to learn on the fly. But um, Jay and the staff have done an incredible job of, of that. And so... Um, I think the tour is in great hands. They're doing fantastic, and uh, prize money is going up. Um, it, it's just, it's just not guaranteed money like you know, like most sports are. Um, it's just like tennis. You got to go out there and earn it. If you're a PGA Tour player who's a bit unsure, you're waffling about listening to a rival golf league, and you hear that statement from Tiger Woods, how impactful is that in your That's, mind? Tiger's dropping napalm on them right there because that was all the Saudi talking points that he was just obliterating. He, he addressed the money issue, he addressed various protocol issues, and chiefly it's the legacy issue where Tiger essentially telling these guys that now is the point where you're deciding if you're an athlete or you're an entertainer. Mm. And if you're an entertainer, you can go play exhibition golf, but you're not going to be measured against me, and I'm the guy you're being measured against. Tiger's always game. been about hard work, hasn't he? About earning it, uh, about finding a way to get the job done. And there, I think it was purposeful, the fact that he was bringing up appearance fees versus going out there and earning your dollar by winning PGA Tour events and winning major championships and getting money on the back end of your performance, not on the front end of it. And that's really where the, the dichotomy comes in in a lot of this argument here over the Saudi issue because you have guys on one hand saying we are independent contractors, we work where we want. And on the other hand, they're going, give me the guaranteed money. Yeah, I don't yeah. actually want to have to work for that money. I don't want it to be based on my performance. I just want it before I even mm. show up. And it, it really exposes what it is about. It's purely about entertainment value golf mm. as a product. But the purpose of it will always be simply laundering the Saudi reputation. Mm. It is not about sport. It is, and there's no difference. Between, there's no barrier between the Super Golf League and its financing and the mm. Saudi government. This is a hostile takeover attempt at an entire sport. A story will continue to follow into 2022. Big stories this week as well in the game of golf. Even in December, big week for Colin Morikawa on and off the golf course, sharing his engagement to girlfriend Kat after winning the race to Dubai. Morikawa gave Keith Pelly a little hint. Uh, not fiance yet, but soon to be maybe, Keith. Shh, keep it under wraps. <laughs> Uh, not fiance yet, but soon to be maybe, Keith. Keep it under wraps. <laughs> About that, Keith, Keith should be a journalist, kind of prying for, for some information. Hey, he doesn't know how many page views he just <laughs> let go there. <laughs> Absolutely. Congratulations to Kyle Morikawa and Kat. They've been together a long, long time. Well, it is a game day on this Thursday. That's a major champ, former world number one, Justin Rose, getting ready for his tee time, 12, 11 p.m. Eastern time. We lead you right up to Golf Central pregame at noon. And speaking of major championship winners, Tom Lehman joins us for a past champions chat. He's the winner of the inaugural Hero World Challenge. Got highlights from his win in 2000 after this.
Golf Today. Brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back to Golf Today. First round coverage of Tiger's event. The Hero World Challenge gets underway at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on Golf Golf Central pregame at noon Eastern time. Let's go way back. 2000 marked the inaugural playing of the Hero World Challenge. Tom Lehman, birdie five of his last six holes to win the event by three shots and break his four-year victory drought Ryder Cup captain major champion world number one 12 career PJ Tour champions wins as well the five PJ Tour wins won that player of the year on the Corn Ferry Tour PGA Tour and PJ Tour champions as well it's time now for champions chats chats with a champ got the 96 champ Tom Lehman from the open and also winner of the inaugural hero. When you think back to that wild week in Arizona, Tom, the hail, a home game for you, what are the memories that come to mind? Well, you know, it's interesting. It was uh, over New Year's. Uh, that was the day, day, so it was over New Year's, and it was Y2K, and nobody knew what was going to happen with uh, the turning over from, you know, a, a, from one century to the next. And, uh, and so we actually had a day off in the middle of the tournament, played two rounds, and then had a day off on New Year's Day, and then continued on uh the second of january you know to play the second the third and then the fourth round so it was a very unique week uh from start to finish you know hail in, in scottsdale which interrupted the final round and then a, a big finish uh, uh the last nine holes you know once the once the hail like i mean this was phil he chipped in and he didn't want to come back and wait and finish later he chipped it in on the last hole you know for a birdie <laughs> you know uh, otherwise, he's coming waiting for three hours and coming back to finish. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a great finish for me in front of the hometown fans, you know, burning five of the last six and beating David Duvall. Yeah, you had Hale. You also had Heckling. I usually think of the modern game, Brooks and Bryson, or 1962 Jack at Oakmont, Arnie's backyard. But that week, the Heckling against David Duvall got so bad at Greyhawk, he cleaned out his locker on Saturday night and had to be convinced to stay, which he ultimately did. What do you remember about that? Well, you know, I do recall him. Uh, he, first of all, he's a very good friend and, and a, a guy that I respect tremendously. Um, and he was uh, he wasn't happy. Uh, and I know that, you know, the final round being paired with him, you know, I had all of my family and friends and they were hooting and hollering for me and they weren't heckling him, but they were certainly uh, pro Tom Lehman. 
in in the in the in the gallery, and and uh, and I was wondering why he was, you know, wasn't happy, and I guess that explains uh, a bit to me of, of what kind of was his um, purpose of his or the reason for his kind of darker mood. He just seemed very unhappy with the whole experience. Tom, that wasn't even your only win in Scottsdale that month. You went on and won the Waste Management Phoenix Open a few weeks later. That turned out to be your last PGA Tour victory. Would you, did you have any sense at the time, at, at 41, that that might have been your last win, or were you still fully confident at that point that you had more in you? You know, I for certain felt like I had a lot more, and I did play a bunch of good golf, but, you know, I, I, I learned, you know, obviously you, you look back on things and you understand what is it that wins tournaments, and, you know, great short games win tournaments. Um, yeah, I did a lot of things in golf extremely well. I did some things fantastically, and, and uh, my short game was always good. Uh, once in a while, great. And, uh, you know, when it was great, then I, I could win, and I could win by a lot. Uh, you know, but those who have the consistently great short games are the guys who win a lot. And, and uh, you know, when I think back about my career, you know, knowing how hard I worked on my chipping and my putting and, you know, that I was good at it, um, I just wasn't good enough at it. I wasn't great at it. And uh, so, that you know, results always go to those who can make that putt when you have to. And, um, and uh, you look at guys like who are the great champions in the short games they possess. Uh, it's really the separating thing between, I say, you know, you know, the great players and the, and the truly great superstars. Well, Tom, you started your career banging around the mini tours. You told me like 20 years ago that you played in this event, the K-Fire, where you slept in your car without air conditioning, but plenty of mosquitoes <laughs> to keep yeah. you company. What do you recall about that time of your life? Well, that would be a far, far cry from the Saudi Golf League, I can tell you that. <laughs> I heard that last segment, and uh, it makes me shake my head. But, you know, I will say one thing about the PGA Tour, if I can just or divert for a second is I have complete faith uh, in the integrity of the young guys on the PGA Tour today. I'm so impressed by them. Uh, I think the PGA Tour is in good hands, and I think it will be for a long time. Uh, but anyway, getting back to you know those days of, of sleeping in my car, I mean, you you simply did whatever you had to do back then. Uh, it was a far different world with golf than it is now. There was way fewer opportunities, and there wasn't a whole lot of money, and, and certainly uh, you never put any cash in your pocket. So you, you did whatever you had to do. You went wherever you had to go. And I think if, if I could say anything about you know, the, the world of golf back then is that those who were truly willing to do whatever it took and go wherever you had to go and do whatever it takes, those are the guys that survived and made it. And uh, you know, so perseverance has, has always been a big thing and probably even more so back then. I remember your opposing Ryder Cup captain, Tom, who spent his first few years as a golfer, Ian Woosnam, driving around a camper van around Europe. Mm. So, I mean, he kind of started out in the same way in this game as you did. You not only went everywhere, yeah. you actually won everywhere. You, you won the Open in England, but you won in Scotland, you won in Japan, you won in Argentina. Is there something mm. to be said for the experience for younger players to travel more, experience different conditions, leaving aside this kind of Saudi money grab idea that you referenced, but just simply mm. the experience of going into the unknown, really? Well, there is that. The um, one thing about golf, which is certainly true, and the same with a lot of other things, is when you feel comfortable, uh, it's easier to play well. And so when you go somewhere where you're uncomfortable, somewhere where you feel like you're a little bit lost and maybe don't quite belong, um, whether it be culturally or language or, or just a level of competition, uh, it, it does you a great amount of good to go to a place like that and then succeed. It builds confidence. Uh, I, I certainly believe uh, that Gary Player, you know, is 100% correct when he talks about his career of, of being a globetrotter and winning everywhere and, and how difficult that was. It, it truly is. Uh, so I think that is one of my uh, 
things I'm most proud of is, you know, that I have one in every continent except Australia uh, and, of course, Antarctica. But, uh, you know, everywhere else I've gone and I've won. And, and that uh, it, it does take uh, a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of, uh, a lot of mental toughness. Um, I mean, I could tell you a lot of stories about going to play in Africa and, you know, the things we experienced there. But to go there and, and to win somewhere is, is a big deal. Still some time to win in Australia. Not so sure about Antarctica. Tiger Woods has won quite yeah. a bit around the world yeah. as well. You guys intersected quite a bit uh, back in your heyday and his heyday. He shot 76 on that Sunday at Greyhawk, by the way, had three double bogeys. Are you paying attention to this latest comeback attempt when you see Tiger now? What comes to your mind? Mm. Well, I just, you know, I, I, I personally believe that... Uh, that he may not go down as the greatest player in history simply because of uh, the way his career has kind of been shortened by uh, so many different injuries and things. But, um, but, but absolutely without any um, doubt in my mind, for the 10 or the 12 or 15 years where he was really at his best, there was nobody who ever played the game better. In my opinion, he, at that point, uh, was the best player in the history of the game, and he'll be always, in my mind, the best player in the history of the game. Um, you know, so um, when I think about him, I think about the fact that he's always exceeded expectations. There has never been a time when there wasn't these unbelievable expectations that were heaped upon him, which he didn't actually just meet them. He exceeded them, um, you know, winning six tournaments in a row. Whoever even dreamed that anybody could approach Byron Nelson's record of uh, what, 10 or 11 or whatever he won in a row. And, and I thought at that point in time that Tiger was going to get there and beat that. that. That's how high a regard I had for him as a golfer. Um, and so this comeback, you know, I never put anything past him. I know that he is downplaying the expectations and, and probably for good reason. Uh, but there is no expectation that I don't ever think he'll, he'll surpass him. And this is just another hurdle that I think he will he'll, he'll blow by and the world will be once again amazed at his tenacity, his courage, uh, his, his ability and his, um, his maturity and wisdom. From someone who's been inside the ropes with Tiger Woods himself, Tom, it's been a pleasure covering your career the last 20 years for me personally. Thanks so much for your time and visiting uh, 2000 with us. All right, guys. Great being with you, too. Thank you. Have a great day. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back to Golf Today. Scotty Scheffler getting ready for round one, 11, 16 a.m. tee time alongside Sam Byrne. 2-0-1 oh, 
at Whistling Straits. Best player on tour, perhaps without a victory, finished runner-up in Houston a few weeks back, making his tournament debut at the Hero World Challenge. There's Rex Hoggard walking the green, strolling around, looking for some notes and nuggets for our show. Always on the prowl, Rexy. <laughs> Gotta love it. Speaking of on the prowl, Tiger Woods making progress. This video, three seconds in length, a couple Sundays ago, more than seven and a half million views on Twitter now. He broke the interwebs <laughs> that day. He did indeed. And then now looking like the host with the most. This was after his press conference on Tuesday. Looking forward to a great week at Albany. Looks like he's got no stress. Big smile. And then the internet breaks again. I was getting ready for bed and I started scrolling yeah, when Twitter and I saw this. He's taking off head covers. He's got fairway metals out there. And he's swinging with some speed. He's certainly swinging with enough speed to play the PNC parent-child championship in two weeks. Is that done now? Is that a done deal in your mind? I think he's going to do it. If I was going to bet, I think he's going to show. I mean, you take that video from almost any other time, it, it looks like Tiger's just hitting golf balls. And, and you mentioned that the, the PNC championship, 36 holes, flat course. In a cart. In a cart. Son Charlie can hit a, a lot of the shots. Tiger can choose to, to hit a shot or not. I mean... Is that the perfect place almost, considering the joy it brought him and the fact that it won't be as taxing on his body as some other spots? There's certainly the physical and the psychological aspect to mm. it as well, but we had Nota on the show yesterday, and Nota wouldn't rule out the pro prospect of him doing it as well. And he also pointed out that last year, Charlie had a lot of the tee shots, chiefly because of where Charlie's tees were, as he was 11 years old then, 12 years old now. So Tiger wouldn't perhaps be having to hit as many long shots as as he would in a typical round of golf. And where else can Tiger show up where he's going to be under less serious mm. scrutiny? Because who's really going to kind of really do a deep dive on Tiger's swing mechanics and his well-being and everything else when he's out there playing a hit and giggle with his son? It's a very different narrative that will surround that tournament, and I don't think there's a better place where he could do it. It just depends on physically. Does he feel he's there? When you look at those videos, it's, he looks as though he's good enough to go. That week in Orlando turns men into boys and women into girls. I mean, you see Bernard Langer smile in ways he doesn't week to week on PJ Tour champions. David Duval never saw him smile the way he did when he won in Orlando. And Tiger, his energy and body language, so different playing golf alongside his son. In some ways, that is the ideal place for a relaxed, loose week, couple of rounds. Are you predicting a win tonight, Dan? <laughs> Have we saying. gone from is he playing to is he going to win? I, I've seen this the man might be the with problem a here. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to go there. But I tell you what, I do lean on Noda and I lean on Tom Lehman, guys who, who know him and have been in that ring with him and know that he's not doing this just to hang out. You know, this is not calisthenics for him. If he's got golf clubs in his hands, he's thinking about playing and winning. We sat here and asked Noda yesterday what he made of Tiger's comment when Tiger said, I don't need to make the climb again. I've climbed Everest enough. And we asked Nota, do you believe him? And Nota just laughed. He literally laughed at the very sentiment that Tiger would not be willing or eager or intend intending to make that climb again. Tiger's not going out there to be ceremonial. Tiger's going out there to at least think he's got a chance of putting himself in the mix once in a while. He's 46. He's in, in, at the end of this month, he's an old 46, mm. given how much scar tissue there is there, but he's not 46 from the neck up. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the game involves the swing, yes, but the mind, hugely important. And nobody mentally tougher, nobody charts golf courses, nobody can see a golf course the way 
that Tiger Woods historically does. And if people think any of that toughness or tenacity has gone, just think back. It was, what, nine months ago? He was, had a 50-50 chance, by mm -hmm. his own estimation, of losing a leg. And there he is out on the range at the Bahamas, hitting golf balls with what looks to be a, a very functional swing. That's, yep. The tenacity hasn't gone anywhere. Yep, got tenacity. He's got some speed in that swing. Definitely more than I expected on the range at the Hero. Speaking of the Hero, everybody wants to be a hero this week in terms of winning the Hero World Challenge. Man, we've seen some great finishes through these. Remember 2010, the year of GMAC? This was when Steve Williams had taken off his caddy bib out in the fairway when Tiger stuffed it close, thinking it was all over, and then GMAC said, no. Quite yet. Yeah, he won the U.S. Open that year, Ryder Cup hero, and he relieved Tiger of a four-shot lead. And then he did it again in the playoff. So good out at Sherwood, outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, GMAC, height of power. Not the only time that Tiger was relieved of his lead. This was 2013. Now, Tiger had a three-shot lead on the front nine. Zach Johnson birdied 16 and 17, hit an awful second shot. Then he holds this from 58 for par. That's when you just know it's not going to be your day, Tiger. Yeah, I love the reaction. Damon Green and Zach Johnson go on to beat Tiger Woods in a playoff. In 2014, this was kind of Jordan Spieth telling us what his career might look like. This was the year he won the Australian Open by six in the wintertime. Then he arrives to Isleworth to win the Hero by ten. This is a harbinger of what 2015 mm. was going to be. They brought him the Masters, the U.S. Open, and painfully close in the other two majors. Absolutely. Then 2017, Ricky Fowler. How about a final round? 61 came from seven shots back of Charlie Hoffman to beat said Hoffman by four shots. That, it all looked so easy for Ricky back then. Let's hope it's the same way again someday. Yeah, looking for some mojo. John Rahm looking for some rest this time of year, but didn't need it back in 2018. Rounds of 71, 63, 69, 65. Four-shot victory over Tony Fee. Now then in 2019, John Rahm went on to win on the PGA Tour and then three times on the European Tour. So the strength of field, it's always strong. You talk about the opportunity for these players to Kind of fatten up on the official World Golf ranking list every year since 2012. Last place finisher was current or future major champ, Eamon Lynch. Yeah, and both ends of the leaderboard are compelling in this tournament, which isn't true anywhere else. There's only 20 guys in the field this year, usually 18. You look back there four years ago, Brooks Kepka was dead last in the field, went on and won two majors the next year. Tiger was second to last in 2018, came out the next year and won the Masters. There are no suckers at Albany mm. this week. Every one of these guys is eminently capable of going out and winning a major next year if they haven't already won one this year. I think it's a great point. I remember watching Hideki Matsuyama at the Hero in 2016, and after rounds of golf, he was out there on the putting green by himself. It's a pretty relaxed week for the most part. He was not relaxing, and he had a bunch of media around him. He'd already won in China and two starts in Japan. He wins four or five starts, including the Hero World Challenge. Then he wins in Phoenix in February. You're right. These guys... They take this employment very seriously, and this is a week of opportunity. Wasn't it Kevin Kisner who said this ain't no hobby? <laughs> None of these guys are out there actually on vacation. Yeah. A lot of these guys are working on new swing um, instruction. They're mm. working on new equipment that they're trying to bid in. This is an experimental week for a lot of guys and an experimental time of the year, the, what we used to call the silly season for the funny money, is there, it perhaps doesn't have the same weight as, as PGA Tour victories do, or, or, or certainly major championships, 
but it is a week that they are using to try to get ready with something, whether it's equipment or swing, for next year. Good time of year to try out some new gear. Patrick Reed's on the putting green. In fact, speaking of new equipment, Rex Hoggers going to have more on his putter later in the show. Patrick Reed looking for a little mojo. 11.49 a.m. Eastern is his tee time in Albany. First round of the Hero World Challenge. It's time now for Stock Watch. Let's take a look and see who's kind of stock is down. We got some quality, quality players, but not everybody has the game right where they want it to be. Maybe who's your guy whose stock is down at this point? To me, it's got to be Justin Rose, who seems to be in what I hope is not inexorable decline here because he's, you know, he's 41 years old. He's dropped all the way to 47th in the world. I ran into him the day he won the Penn Stewart Award down at the Tourist Championship, and he talked about how he's moved his family back to England now for where the kids will go to school. But he's almost three years removed from his last victory on the PGA Tour. He's still capable of some very consistent golf, particularly on the biggest stages. But the, the Farmers Insurance win in 2019 was Justin Rose's last victory, and that's now almost three years. Yeah, I remember speaking to him probably five years ago about what he wanted left in his career to accomplish, what was left. And he said he was looking for that cherry on top of the Sunday, And I thought it might have been that Olympic gold medal. But I think he believes there's still some big appointments that he wants to make. He's kind of right on the edge, in my opinion, of being a World Golf Hall of Fame member. You can say what you want about the qualifications. He seems to be kind of right there as a major champ, won that 2013 U.S. Open at Marion, Olympic gold medalist. He's won a FedEx Cup. I mean, he's had some, some big moments. We saw him on the uh, leaderboard at the Masters in April as well. Yeah, he, he shows up in, in big events, and his wins actually tend to come on a lot of big courses. Mm, you know, mm. he, there's a great legacy to the courses that Justin Rose has won on throughout his career on, on multiple continents. But at 41, and he's got a, a back that tends to flare up once in a while as well, you really have to wonder what kind of runway is left in front of Justin at mm. this point. It doesn't seem at the moment to be all that long. Yeah, from one major champ, one U.S. Open... Champ to another. I'm going to the guy who won the, the year before, Justin Rose. That's Webb Simpson. Uh, we haven't heard much from Webb in the last year and a half. No victories on the PGA Tour at the age of 36. So still very much, I think, in his prime. But someone who kind of we've watched his putting woes happen, and the putter really hasn't been the problem. If you look at his numbers over the last couple of years, we're going to see him putt right here. He was 22nd in strokes gained putting in 2021. He was 13th in strokes gained putting in 2020. He was 134th in driving distance in 2021. This was someone who back in 2011 was 51st in driving distance. So one of the bigger deficiencies of his game has just been that he's hitting longer clubs into these greens in this era of power. He's also statistically one of the best scramblers on the PGA Tour year in and year out, and that makes up for a lot of sins mm. at the other end of the hole if you can scramble at the business end of the hole, which is what has really defined Webb Simpson's career. But again, he tends to win on a lot of golf courses that are on the shorter side yeah. as well. And so the opportunities for a guy who is not going to overpower anything, the opportunities that come up every year for a Webb Simpson are fewer than are going to come up for some of the bigger hitters. A lot of respect for... Webb and how he had to put his game under the knife, literally, the, the putting ban, the anchored putting style that he couldn't use. And I remember talking to him about that and how he went through the process of trying to putt without using the anchored method and how he would do money games first at Quail Hollow and then pro-ams on the PGA Tour before he felt comfortable enough to bring it out to PGA Tour competition and to be 22nd in strokes game putting in 2021 and 13th in 2020 speaks to how much 
time he's put into the grind. And if you look at the guys who were expected to really struggle with the, the banning of anchored putting, he would have been on that list, and he has probably compensated for that better than almost anyone mm. out there. All right, that's the, the stock down, but, you know, players with work to do. How about, guys, stock up? Is there a player you're looking at right now that said, this is, this is where I'm putting my, uh, my cheese on? The guy playing with the defending champion today, Vic Hovland, mm. 24 years old. He's up to number nine in the world. Uh, Vic Hovland loves the tropical courses. You know, he's three <laughs> he victories. Does. He's won twice in Mayakoba, and he's won in, in Puerto Rico as well. But the next step for Victor Hovland is where he has headroom, which is in the major championships. He's played six as a professional. He had to withdraw Torrey Pines this year with an eye injury in the second round. But otherwise, he's never finished worse than 30th in the, in the five majors he's played as a pro. And he made the cut in both the U.S. Open and the Masters as the U.S. Amateur Champion as well. So to me, there, there is headroom there. This is a guy whose game is on a trajectory that is entirely going in the right direction. He's just getting stronger, and he's working on the weakest part of his game, which was historically his chipping. Plays hard golf courses pretty well. A lot of courses that he's seeing for the first time. Low amateur uh, in a U.S. Open. We've seen him kind of learn to, to kind, of, kind of eliminate the big number, though it got him at the WGC at concession. Someone who's made a Ryder Cup team already. I think the arrow is pointing up for him. Obviously, his attitude is fantastic on the golf course. He can poke fun at himself at his short game woes, but still finds a way to get the ball in the hole and win on the PGA Tour, which is not easy to do. And another thing that's not easy to do out here is actually make friends. And Padraig Harrington said at Whistling Straits that he had 11 guys who wanted to play with Victor Hovland. How about that? that week? That's a high praise. Well, a guy who could have been at Whistling Straits in Colorado, Wisconsin is Sam Burns. He's off in just a few minutes from now, a winner already in this young season on the PGA Tour. He won last season on the PGA Tour. Could have been a part of that Ryder Cup for Steve Stricker. Was just on the outside looking in. This part of his game, I think for a big man who hits the ball as far as he does, his putting is sublime. I think this is what can be a separator for him. Very little weaknesses in the game of Sam Burns. Yeah, and you, when you start to pull together a list of guys that you think next year has to represent a, a chance for a breakout year for them, you're going to put a guy like Sam Burns on that list. He's, you know, he's gotten his win. He's put himself in contention often enough. Now you start to think, where's, where's your next step? Where are you moving up a level on the tour? Yeah, first, 14th, 5th, and 7th so far in this young season. For more from the Bahamas, we once again turn to Rex Hogger. What can you tell us about Patrick Reed and that putter, Rex? Well, you guys were just talking about it early in the show, Damon, about this is the perfect time of year for guys to start tinkering a little bit, looking ahead to 2022, and Patrick Reed is one of those guys, and he is not a player that changes putters very often, given his record, it's understandable, but he is trying out a new putter this week. He had his manufacturer make him a putter that was a little bit heavier. To put that in context, I was just talking with his caddy. He went from a D1 weight for his normal putter to a D4, so it's a significant amount of weight, and essentially what he's trying to do is to use use this on slower greens. He feels like it gives him a little bit more control over the golf ball, but he was quick to point out Albany's greens are not slow, but it did feel comfortable the last few days, and he has it in the bag today, and there was one unique option on the bottom of the putter. His manufacturer actually welded the name of his daughter, Windsor Wells, on the bottom. I like it. New equipment, new caddies. Rex, what can you tell us about Tony Finau's caddy this week? Because I understand if anybody needs a loan, the caddy is the guy to ask. 
A couple different caddies in the field this week, but you're right. Tony's is uh, probably the most impressive or the one that you're going to look at and shake your head a little bit. Tony's regular caddy, Mark Urbanic, is at home. His wife is expecting a child. So Tony told us yesterday that he, a couple of weeks ago, approached his good friend. His name is Randy Smith. That name may sound familiar. He is the owner of the Utah Jazz. A few weeks ago, asked him, would you mind? jumping in and doing this and he said he was happy to join now I did ask how are they going to work out the pay scale this week and Tony just sort of laughed and said there will be a pay cut involved for his caddy stuff I'm actually looking for Lakers Spurs tickets over uh, the Christmas holiday so uh, maybe I'll ask Tony Finau's caddy for some ducats though he does own the Utah Jazz thank you so much Rex your thoughts on, on Tony Finau got that big win uh, during the playoffs. Not often you see a caddy who's wealthier than the player. <laughs> no. That's certainly the case out here. You know, Tony's another of those guys you think you really have to put in that category of what, do you, what else have you got in 22? We, we know you can put yourself in contention almost every week that you play, but there aren't really enough trophies to back up the talent that we see out of Tony Finau all the time. Yeah, I like that he kind of held himself to account uh, talking about needing to be a little bit tougher on Sundays. It's one thing if someone holding a pen or a microphone says that, but when he says that himself, that he needed to kind of learn to, to have a little bit of a stronger chin on Sunday, that tells you that he could look in the mirror and see some deficiencies and, and work on that. He's the one who said, I want to adopt a Mamba mentality in the wake of Kobe Bryant's passing. Of course, a big basketball fan is Tony Fino, and he tried to kind of find a way to do that. I thought he showed some great toughness down the stretch across from New York City. He did. When he won that Northern Trust in the playoff and, and very dramatic Sunday finish there, he showed a lot more fortitude than we'd seen out of Tony on some other occasions. Yeah, it was also in the mix when Tiger Woods won his 15th major championship at the Masters just two years ago. Tony off at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. First round, the Hero World Challenge. And coming up next, speaking of the hero, uh, one of our heroes, John Wood. Caddy turned broadcaster. Going to join us. Knows a little bit about those green reading books used on tour. We'll talk about the latest rule that limits their use and who might be most impacted by that. Golf Today. Brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet. Live your bet life. Back on Golf Today. First round coverage of the Hero World Challenge is coming your way today. Golf Channel, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Beautiful views. Albany, the Bahamas. Stacked field. 20 of the game's best. Now, here's what you need to know on this Thursday. So, golf's governing bodies earlier in the week made available a model local rule to further limit the use of green reading materials. Model local rule G-11 enables a committee to limit players to using only a yardage book that it has approved for use in a competition. This local rule is intended only for the highest levels of competitive golf. So a little bit closer look that will further limit the use of green ring materials, gives committee ability to establish officially approved yardage book for a competition. Also limits handwriting notes players and caddies can add to approved yardage book available starting January 1st. 2022 and intended only for the highest levels of competitive golf. Speaking of great caddies, how about our own John Wood? He's traveled all over the world. He's caddied for Kalk and Cooch and Linus. Kevin Sutherland, who liked that white towel all over the golf course. And now one of our best holding a microphone. He'll be on the coverage from the Hero World Challenge. He joins us right now from the Bahamas. Woody, it's good to see you. News from the USGA and RNA limiting the use of these green books. What will that mean for the best players in the world? 
You know, it's a, it's an interesting change, and it's only for the PGA Tour, obviously, the highest level, as you guys mentioned. Um, it's going to be tough. I, I think, um, you know, there's a whole generation of players who haven't played a PGA Tour event without a, a Greens book. Um, they've based their whole reading routine, especially a guy like Bryson, um, completely around percentages, slopes, and speeds. Um, and for them to pick up an entirely new way of reading Greens in a couple months, it's going to be tough. Um, the toughest thing to me is, is the notes part of it, in that you, can, you have to take notes only based on your observations. You can't be told, uh, your coach can't tell you, hey, this putt on 12 breaks more than you think. You can remember that, but you cannot write that down in your book. Um, the other thing I think is going to be tough is, um, like Phil Mickelson is famous for having notebooks full of notes for short game. You can get up and down from here, you can't from here. Well, he can't use those notes anymore unless he writes them in the official yardage book. He can't take out, you know, the little handwritten notebooks that he's had over the years. So um, it's going to be a tough enforcement. I, I kind of feel for the rules officials on it. Well, that's my question, John. How enforceable is this actually? I mean, at what point can they decide this note was based on your own observations, this you were told by another caddy in the locker room? I mean, it, it seems to be a mm. lot of gray area here. I completely agree, Eamon, and, and, and um, you know, the bottom line is going to be an honor system. No matter how suspicious a note may look, if the player or caddy says, no, I wrote this down during a practice round when I saw a ball do this, then that's the end of it. Um, uh, it's going to be tough to think, um, you know, certain guys, I'm not saying any names, but I, uh, certain guys will probably do some copying from an old Greens book, um, and, and it'll look like they took the notes themselves. I think there'll be some suspicion from other players. Um, and it's, it's going to be tough because, like I said, it's just the honor system at the end of the day. Um, and I, I don't think it's out of the question that it becomes so confusing out there that they come back in a year. So I, I don't know what the answer is going to be. It's going to be interesting to find out. I kind of wish they would have gone the, the way of when they outlawed the belly putter. They gave guys a year to kind of get ready for it. I wish they would have, instead of two months now, they would have had an entire year and two months to, to kind of get ready for the transition. But it is what it is, and uh, these guys will adapt, and I hope it goes smoothly. We've heard a lot of players over the last couple of years, as, as the controversy around green reading books has built up, John, say that these books take away a skill, that it is a learned skill in this game to read a green. Where do you fall on that question? It is a skill. But so is reading a greens book correctly. Um, when I caddied, I saw as many putts missed because of, use, of using the greens book incorrectly as I saw made because uh, they were used correctly. Um, and if you look at two basic stats uh, from the 12 years before greens book, uh, three putt percentage has virtually stayed the same as has one putt conversion percentage uh, to 12 years since we've had green book. So those two stats, I know they're very basic, but they've basically stayed the same. Um, so I don't, I don't see how you can say it's made it easier and if you want you know if you want greens reading to be a skill the players must have then you shouldn't allow the caddies to help read at all because you can buy a greens reader if you're a player find the best greens reader out there and pay them so uh, you don't necessarily need that so um, I see it as a skill but I also see reading greens uh, with a greens book a skill Tiger Woods can read a, a green pretty well at the height of his power you know Noda came on this show and said he's a warrior essentially this ain't no hobby this comeback isn't just a to say hi and to shake hands and kiss babies. What's the energy like around Tiger Woods this week, knowing that he's come back many, many times from off the mat? 
I'll tell you what, uh, you know, there's 20 of the greatest players in the world playing in this event, but the biggest story is the one guy hitting balls at the back of the range. So I think people would have rather bought a ticket for that than watch these 20 great players warm up here on the range. But uh, there's definitely a buzz. I think everybody's surprised at how fast this, this recovery has happened. I think everybody anticipated it to be, you know, much further down the line. But to see him making full swings, um, you know, with three woods, um, it's pretty impressive, and uh, I think everybody's really excited to, to have him hopefully back sooner than we all anticipated. All right, Woody, one more for you. First round coverage at 1.30 right here on Golf. For the, for the viewers watching at home, I see the flags whipping behind you. How tough of a day is it for a caddy and a player when the wind is up? How much of this is going to truly be a work day, even if it is a limited field? Yeah, the winds are supposed to be around 15 miles an hour all week long, so you won't have to worry about changes, but this is kind of normal for this place. Um, and you don't get many switches. They're not tricky winds. It's, you know, it's a very flat course, so you know where it's coming from. And sometimes that steady 15 miles an hour is easier than, than a 10 or a 5 that flips around all the time. So these guys are so good. It's not like it's 25 or 30. Um, it'll help on some holes. It'll hurt on others. But I think all these guys are going to be good enough to adapt to a wind like this. Woody, you always cover all the bases for us. We appreciate your time. Have a great walk. We'll listen to you on the broadcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. All right. What's coming up, pal? We're still to come on golf today. We're going to talk about newsmakers of the year. That might be one of them right there, Colin Marikawa. But Damon and I will give our choices in the non-Tiger division. Man, I love sports. I love golf. Time now for our 2021 Newsmakers. A lot of news to talk about. Fantastic year. Fantastic play. Top Newsmaker 2021. Well, I, we definitely have to specify this is the non-Tiger division since when he shows up and does something like just hit a three-second <laughs> chip shot in a video, he tends to make the news and break the news. To me, it's got to be Bryson DeChambeau. And if I was going to pick one word to describe his year, it's got to be frantic. It could be futile. It could be theatrical. I mean, there are a lot of words to apply to Bryson's year, but it, it was just endlessly exhausting, and it had to be exhausting for Bryson because nobody else propelled more storylines in this game this year than Bryson, from that arms aloft drive at, at Bay Hill all the way back in March, the, the endless feud with Brooks Kepka that took us all the way up to the match. You know, there was the, the spat with the media yeah. that is ongoing ever since Detroit, the same week that his caddy disappeared into thin air overnight after several years. The meltdown at the U.S. Open, I think, was really a, a noteworthy moment as well. And you can look back here at, at Torrey Pines, and it began on the 13th hole, and he went from sharing the lead, making the turn, to coming home in 44 strokes over that nine holes, and then was quite insistent afterwards that it didn't bother him because he already had one of these mm. in the U.S. Open, and then insisted afterwards that it was just due to bad luck. And, you know, his... his his day got worse, and in some ways his year got worse, actually, as the theatrics went on. But here he's, you know, this is the hole where he actually hit a shank later on as well. At one point he tried to attribute it to the streaker that couldn't even actually be seen where, where Bryson was out there. But it was just, this was kind of symptomatic of, of Bryson's year. He's making headlines all the time, but not necessarily for the right reasons. I remember being out there at that press conference when he said, well, I've already got one of these, and it's, it was hollow. It, it seemed almost like a child would say, that, you know, this, this didn't hurt, this didn't bother me. Of course, it, 
it bothered him and it hurt. And I think that Bryson at sometimes has been his own worst enemy for as much as he should be praised for what he has done in terms of putting in the work and putting his game at risk, changing his body and going about it a different way. He's also put his foot in his mouth quite a bit in 2021 and given us a lot to chew on. And he, he keeps doing it as well. And there's a, there's a trend here you see with Bryson is that he finds it very difficult to handle himself in what are emotionally tough circumstances. Mm. And we saw it again at the Open Championship as well. When it, first of all, he started to deny that he ever does not shout four whenever he's actually hitting the ball deliberately over the gallery's head when there's evidence that he doesn't actually shout four. He insisted he does. And then he had the spat with his equipment manufacturer over his driver. And I believe we have that sound we can listen to as well. Yeah, and that's what I said uh, yesterday, if I can, or a couple of days, yeah, yesterday, if I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But again, with the driver right now, the driver sucks. It's uh, not a good face for me, and we're still trying to figure out how to make it uh, good on the miss hits. And, uh, you know, I'm living on the razor's edge, like I've told people for a long time. And, you know, when I did get it outside of the fairway, uh, like in the first cut and whatnot, I catch jumpers uh, out of there, and I couldn't control my wedges. This driver sucks. These people bend over backwards yeah. to manufacture very specific equipment for Bryson. And to me, one of the highlights of the year was when Cobra Puma clapped back. They did. And they said, basically, it's like dealing with an eight-year-old child. And more power to them. It had to be said. Yeah, I, I hope that the people in his camp, and, and I think they are, you got to get in his ear. I, I feel like he has a chance to be Paul Bunyan. He has a chance to be this larger-than-life figure and too often, he just makes these odd comments, and they are, I think that the, the matter and the word I would probably use is immature. I, I still think, I don't think this is going to be the story of Bryson at 40. I could be wrong. This could be a, a Sergio type of situation where these incidents follow him and follow him. But I feel like as much joy as I get watching Bryson, like, take apart a golf course and do things different way, and I thought that uh, Bay Hill was, was the, the top mark for him. He continues to step in it. Time and time again. And I also thought that the Ryder Cup was a redemptive week for him because he had the armor of Team USA around him. As was the long drive championship mm. that he showed up in later in the year as well. And those are all the highlights that show why Bryson DeChambeau is as compelling and as popular as he is. It's his inability to really button his lip once in a while in difficult situations. And this isn't a new thing. You can remember a few years ago, he blew a tournament in Europe, the, the Porsche Dude. Open in Germany, and he could barely even manage to shake the hand of the guy who beat him. Was Richard McAvoy, yeah. Stormed off the golf course. And, you know, he's he has a chance to redeem himself. He hasn't had a great year this year when you look at his finishes in the majors. Not a single top 20 in those events. He obviously won at Bay Hill. He is the most dominant newsmaker of the year to me. He may well be the same guy next year, but at a certain point, you've got to see some evidence of maturity, and I'm not seeing it. Yeah, and I have to think that that Vegas hit and giggle had to have bothered him as well. He wasn't giggling. <laughs> he was not giggling. Brooks was giggling, you know? And I'd like to see these two on a championship Sunday when it counts. I want to see them be Nelly and Jin Young-Ko or Tiger and Phil or Jack and Arnie. I want to I see them when it counts. Listen, anything that brings attention to golf, I think, is good. Brings viewers, that's fine. But, uh, you know, are, are the history books going to remember that that week? There's a difference between a feud and a rivalry. Yes. And it always amused me when people kept referring to them as rivals. I mean, neither of them can even remember when they played together. Yeah. Last. And if you're not going head-to-head -head in events 
that matter in rounds that matter, then you are not rivals. This is a schoolyard spat. Did the tour miss an opportunity? Absolutely. The tour should have put them together early in the year on a Thursday, Friday, when there was nothing of consequence because the tour was taking the risk that they would play their way into a pairing on the weekend when there was something mm. at stake. The tour didn't want to embolden what they saw as the worst elements in the gallery that would have jumped on, on this kind of feud narrative and particularly on DeChambeau. So, which is why I think the tour embraced the whole match concept at the end because yeah. they realized that fans would say, this is commercial, it was a stunt from the start and we're not interested. And I think the tour gambled correctly. My question is, why did that have to be somebody else's commercial yeah, benefit? Yeah. There were eight events, eight sponsors on the PGA Tour this year who had both of those guys in the field at the same time. They might have enjoyed the, the attention from having them paired together rather than see it happen in a made-for-TV. Yeah, Brooks and Bryson separated by one group this week in the Bahamas. Tea time, 1244 for Bryson DeChambeau. My newsmaker, I go to the LPGA Tour, and it's Nelly Corda. And the word to describe her year is golden, and that can be the gold medal. That's the easy way, but it's also just how great her golf was this year. And it also transcended the game. Did you see Forbes' latest 30 under 30? It includes Simone Biles and Vlad Guerrero Jr., Dak Prescott. I mean, Devin Booker of the Suns. LPJ, congrats to Nelly on being named Forbes under 30. That means you are a transcendent figure in the game beyond what you do on the basketball court or inside the ropes. She won five times in all, including the Olympic gold. Major champ became world number one. And yes, Jin Young-Ko caught her at the tape and passed her in Naples. But I think Nellie Corda's year was transcendent. Do you know how you, good you have to be to just simply be the dominant athlete within Nellie Corda's own family? <laughs> yes. He says between her parents and her siblings, and obviously her brothers had a great year in, yeah. a year in his tennis career as well. Jessica Corda also won on the LPGA Tour this year. But it, it's hard to think of a different name, certainly in the women's game, who is a bigger newsmaker. And we had this discussion with Paige McKenzie yesterday over who ought to be player of the year. My argument was very simple, that in the four regular events that Nellie Corda won, Jin Young-Ko was in the field in all of them. Mm. In the five events that Jin Young-Ko won, Nellie Corda played twice. And to me, it's that fact of the, the going of head-to-head -head against each other in the same field, the same week, same conditions. Nellie Corda was coming out on top. What a family. Just shot 60 and won the tournament in Orlando, the Diamond Resort. Seb had a great week and fortnight, really, at the at Wimbledon. Jess shoots 60, and she's the third most talked-about athlete in the family. <laughs> for what now, for That's now. That's a tough standard yeah. to live up to. No doubt. Proud mama and papa, no doubt. So who's the biggest newsmaker in golf this year? That's our social question of the day. What would your headline be for their year? The best responses going to make this show. So put your talents to good use. We still can't wait for 2022. What are you looking forward to, man? I mean, we're still catching our breath from 2021, but you know me, I'm kind of an optimist. I'm a little hyper excited about the, the no game. No one's never said that about me, Dame. <laughs> but I want you to be optimistic. What are you looking forward to? I can't wait to the U.S. Open next summer at the Country Club. This is one of the great old designs in, in America, and it, it Dates back a long way, but we haven't seen it host a tournament since the 1999 Ryder Cup. Ooh. But we haven't actually seen it since right here 33 years ago. It hosted the last major championship when Curtis Strange won the first of two back-to-back -back U.S. Opens. And I'm just curious to see how one of the great old architectural gems in this country can hold itself up to the modern power game. Yeah, you know, living in Connecticut now, I've heard so much about the country club just down the road in Massachusetts when Curtis went back-to-back, -back, SI famously put him on the cover and said, move over, Ben Hogan. Supposed to be one of the kind of coolest 
experiences. You know, when you go to a great country club, it's not just the golf course. It's kind of the vibe you get, and it's the locker room or the, the showers or, or the food. And I can't wait to see the modern game, considering how much the equipment has changed yeah. since 1999 when Justin Leonard was making that mile-long putt to help the Americans get it done. And how many times are we going to see that putt during the live from <laughs> shows from the country club when we get there next June? Justin says he's asked about that putt almost every time he leaves home and, and goes to the airport and somebody uh, asks about it. And he still has the shirt. I hope he ain't going to wear it next summer, it's though. probably a little musty. He's an open champ, by the way, and that's what I'm most looking forward to, by the way, is uh, St. Andrews, Andrews, 150th edition of the Open. And guess what? Someone else is looking forward to the 150th Open as well. Yeah, I would love to, I'd love to play <clears throat> at St. Andrews. There's no doubt about it. It's my favorite golf course in the world. And uh, to be a, a two-time Open champion there, uh, I would like just like to uh, – this – just even being a part of the champion's dinner is, is really neat. Um, <clears throat> from my first one in 05 was my first one I got to attend the champion's dinner. Uh, it was pretty neat to, to be a part of it. And, you know, Peter Thompson was still alive, and I sat right next to him and to hear him tell the stories of when he came over and he played and shots he played and where he won, how he did it. It was awesome. You know, those are things like like at, like at the Masters. You, you just, those dinners are, are are priceless, and those stories and listen to them uh, talk about how they played and when they played it and what they did and. Um, it's just an honor to be a part of a room like that. And, yes, I would love to be able to play that Open Championship. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And this, uh, physically, and hopefully I can. Uh, I get, I got to get there first, okay? I, the tournament's not going to go anywhere, but I need to get there. Look at that smile. I mean, when you talk about the old course at St. Andrews, you, you think about the history of this game, the home of golf, and it's all about the stories. For him, it's the, the dinners and the memories of winning in 2000. And in 2005, what does it mean to you? Well, there are just ghosts everywhere at St. Andrews. I mean, you go out and walk around that golf course and you can stand there and try to play out of the bunker where Bobby Jones tore up a scorecard in, in the 1920s and stormed off the golf course and was described by the local press as an unremarkable boy. <laughs> and, but, you know, you can stand there on that, that 18th green where every single great player in the history of the game, with the sole exception of Ben Hogan, has walked over that Swilton Bridge and play that hole, and you're finishing off right in front of the old Tom Morris golf shop where he lived. The place where he died is right along the 18th fairway as well in the new clubhouse. So it's just the history of this place is just everywhere. You cannot avoid it. It's just a great atmosphere to the place. In 2010, I went for Sports Illustrated. The, the Louis and wins. It's dark. I'm visiting a buddy, Mark Canizero, golf writer for the New York Post, who's living in a flat that week right across from 18. He finishes filing his story. I've done mine. He's going to go go play and we went out to the 18th in the dark probably against the rules and, and we played the 18th hole he made four i drop kicked my drive I, you see sparks flew that's how badly i hit it but i still somehow toughed out of five at the last i'd be more impressed if you tried to hit it over the hotel on the tee shot on seven oh i've in the done dark. that I, I well not in the dark but the one time i did play it unfortunately i took a a route that many, you know, high handicappers have taken a little too close to the China on top of that hotel where people are having cocktails. There <laughs> no doubt. Cannot wait for the summertime. Well, this is a big day as well for the best players in the world. Xander Shoffley, speaking of golden, Olympic gold medalist on the putting green. T8 in this event in 2018. T10 in 2019. He's off at 12, 11 p.m. Eastern time. And we are back right after this.
back on golf today. We're leading you right into Golf Central pregame at noon to get you set for first round action from the Hero World Challenge at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on golf. As John Wood told us, wind about 15 miles per hour for 20 of the best in the game. Hero, of course, makes uh, motorcycles. Like them. Who could imagine such cruelty could be inflicted by something so beautiful? <laughs> of course. Exactly. Here are the odds to win, powered by our good friends at Points Bet Sportsbook. Rory McElroy, co favorite, alongside a fellow major champ, Colin Morikawa, recently engaged. Chance to be number one with a win this week. Last time we saw Rory, didn't go so well. Lost the tournament, maybe lost a couple buttons as well. I hope he doesn't see you keeping this up there, Damon. <laughs> Otherwise, there might be another couple of expletives dropped. <laughs> Hopefully, he's already out on the range. Getting, thank goodness, he is out on the range. That's a very nice-looking shirt. Look, he's smiling, having some fun. Kind of looks loosey-goosey. Important week for him? I don't think so. It's a, I don't think it's a particularly important week. I think he's kind of on the track that he's going to stay in yeah. over the course of the next couple of months, which is getting more reacquainted with Michael Bannon, getting his swing back to the, the level that he's comfortable with. And he's talked about that in depth, about how he's spending his time with Bannon, trying to clear off some of the rust that has accumulated on it, or the, the scar tissue, I suppose, from the extra swing thoughts this year. And that gets all the way back to last year when he admitted that he started to chase speed like Bryson, so I think he's he's hit his reset button. This week, I think, is for him something of a hit and giggle, but it would certainly send a message if he were to play really well and win. For all the consternation about his lack of a major championship since 2014, he's 32 years of age, you know, think about how long it took Phil and Justin Rose and Adam Scott and Ben Hogan to win their first major championship. So perhaps in the big picture when he's 40 and 45, we'll look back and say that he figured out a way to to get off this major championship snide. But we do hear him kind of, I feel like, searching for ways to approach big tournaments and, and having to remember who he is. And, and I have to like the man in the mirror and trust the man in the mirror and, and know that my best is good enough. Why do you think he kind of has these fits and starts and, and maybe moments of doubt? I think he's looking to maximize every possible angle to get that major championship. If you went back to 2018... He had a kind of a mental game guru following him around for several tournaments, including at Augusta National. And the whole objective was to take pressure off himself, to kind of de-stress during those weeks and to de-emphasize the importance of those weeks. And then he realized by the end of that year that he actually needed to do the opposite, that doing that didn't work for him, that he really needed to kind of fire up the stress level a little bit, put a little bit more pressure on himself to perform. So he's, he's played all of these little kind of angles all the time, always looking for that edge that he needs. And he, there have been plenty of majors where he has not been far off over the last seven years yes. since he won one. But, you know, he put himself in the mix at Torrey Pines this year as well until that double bogey in the middle of the back nine on Sunday. So he's, he's not that far away. But, you know, it's, you would believe from the narrative that he's miles away and hasn't been close to it in seven or eight years at this point. But he really isn't that far away. But he does need to kind of close that narrative off, and I think that's his number one goal for next year. I'll never forget when Jack uh, sat down with Faraday and Ricky Fowler, and Ricky was saying, yeah, I treat all the tournaments the same, and Jack was saying, no, don't treat them the same. Elevate the majors. I always knew when the majors were. Ramp up for the majors. I, too, was surprised when Rory in the run-up to the Open at Royal Portrush was like, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to minimize it, and I thought he should treat it like his own personal Ryder Cup. You're going to have voices in the crowd that you recognize and faces in the crowd that are going to be 
living and dying with every shot, kind of you use that energy. Yeah, and that was a really interesting week for yeah. him because he didn't show up at the golf course until Tuesday afternoon, yeah. and that told me that he was trying to keep under the limelight that week, keep out of the, the pressure cooker, and it showed up on the very first tee shot. Yeah, it sure did. Out of bounds. Another great pairing today, JT and Brooks Kepka, 12.33 p.m. Eastern time. Take a look at Justin Thomas, and you mentioned it earlier in the week, just the, the stress of the year almost from the beginning, the outlier win at the players where he was seven shots back with 36 holes to play and him calling this year poor. And not just because of the golf, he lost his grandfather, his father dealing with some health issues at the end of the year as well. Yeah, but he's finally started to show a little bit of life again. He was third at Mayakoba. He was fourth at the Northern Trust, fourth in the Tour Championship. And he actually just confirmed this morning that he will defend his PNC Championship title with his father, and you know what that means, Damon? It leaves one spot left in the parent-child field. I wonder who's taking that. That might be the biggest tell of all. Now that the Thomas family is set, that perhaps the Woods family will join them in Orlando. I tell you, I look at Justin Thomas, and I, I see him on the putting green, and it's appropriate. He's 112th strokes gained putting in 2021. He was in the 40s and 50s there in 2017 and 2018. He's been in the hundreds in strokes gained putting, and he says he has to stop being wooden on the greens and be more natural. It's one thing to say it, you know, you know now you got to do it. You do have a new caddy on the bag and in Bones McCoggin might give him some new energy as well. Yeah, I think that could be a great reset button for a guy like JT to have Bones on the bag because every tournament I've seen JT at this year, he spends a lot more time on the putting green grinding with his dad than he does mm. on, on the actual range hitting full shots or even in, in the short game area. It's definitely something that's bothering him it's troublesome his statistical performance has dropped off but you know i've always argued a good caddy like bones could be worth a shot a week or mm. more could be that's a fiery duo between jt and bones